Welcome to the CCUPC Cutting Room Floor Podcast. I'm Pastor James. And I'm Pastor Dina. And we are glad to have you this week. And if you're joining us for the second week in a row, welcome back. It's good to have you back. We are in Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Uh, we are in the parable of the wedding banquet. And uh, just to kick off, that this is a, a wedding banquet that is, um, it, it, there is a similar parable in um, Luke chapter 14. And so uh, if you want to compare the two, let, let me say right off the bat, go to Luke chapter 14, uh, verses 16 through 24. It's similar, but makes a slightly different point. And so uh, we don't want to uh, be conflating the two parables. So just as we kick off there, just a little note. We're in Matthew 22, 1 through 14. So um, Pastor Dina, what was, <laughs> this was another fun one to discuss in the office over the week. What were your general impressions of, of this um, of this parable? Um, I said a couple times, feels like Jesus is being harsh here. Um, we don't like the idea of exclusion. We don't like the idea of people turning down the offers that that in this case the the king or the master but you know we know that that's that these invitations are coming from jesus um and so this this is not a feel-good parable uh this is another one that was really hard to try to um communicate well to kids and to adults alike so this is a tough one. Another one. Lent, this Lent has brought a series of difficult passages. And I think we we talked in the office this week. Many of these passages on first reading, we listen to them and say, okay, oh, I see Jesus's point. Great. That's nice. But the more we sit with them, the more we dig into them, the more layers there are and the, the harder some of these things are to reckon with. So, so very quickly, the the parable uh, is of a king who holds a wedding banquet, and so at the at um, at first he has invitees who, who do not come and kind of give excuses and also kill his servants, and uh, and then so he tells other servants go out and find whoever you can, and they bring a bunch of people into the wedding banquet hall, and there's someone who wasn't dressed properly. Uh, and the king comes and says, why aren't you dressed quite right? And, and uh, the man gives no response. And so the king has this person bound up hand and foot and thrown outside where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, and Jesus concludes by saying, uh, uh, so uh, many are, many are uh, invited, but few are chosen. So uh, great uplifting message. Yeah, that's the harsh part. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so... Talk to uh, in three parts about this: the 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 breadth of God's invitation, the the nature of our sin, and the importance of our response. And um, so, when I had written this, I, I was mentioning that I almost made it so that this was um, the breadth of God's invitation and the depth of our sin. But really, this this um, this passage has a lot to say, not about the the depth of our sin, but about the nature of it, and that it's not. Uh, it's not saying how deep it is. It's talking about how we're in rebellion against God, which is not a fun thought. Um. No. And when we realize that it, the King's response makes more sense because, you know, this invitation goes out and 
people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll be there. Well, when the banquet's prepared and the servants finally say, come on, and everyone rejects that invitation, it it is rebellion. It's open, not not following the customs, not following the obligations, not following what um, was expected of them of the time. And the king's response is kind of to burn it all down. I mean, <laughs> that he just says, fine, I'll show you. Yeah. And, and it, it is difficult to, because on a daily basis, I don't necessarily think of myself as a rebel. Um, in fact, yeah. my family would probably say they, I would probably the least rebellious person in the family. And, and so it's, when you look at a passage like this and, and realize that that Jesus is is calling us, and in particular he was actually talking to the religious elite of the day, uh, calling them rebels, it's it's hard to think about that because, you know, I, okay, I may speed on, on I-79, I may, you know, um, do minor things, but nothing that's overtly rebellious. Um, and yet, uh, when it compared with what God's expectations are of me and the idea that, that God is the King, um, then I can start to see how I'm a bit more of a rebel in wanting to do my own things and not being subject to the King. Yeah. And, and we don't like to be subject to people or things. How often do we look around and, and see people, questioning authority and and um trying to be unique and saying no I'm not going to go with the culture I'm not going to do what's expected of me just because I want to be different I want to be something other than what's being asked of me and I don't know I, I wonder it would be interesting to know what the crowd how the crowd influenced each other in this way you know did one person say no and then everyone else thought, like, ooh, I can say no, too. Or did they all say no independently because they wanted, you know, they didn't really want to do, uh, the excuses they came up with were really th- pretty thin. Um, they weren't great excuses. They weren't real excuses. So it, it'd be interesting to know what was going through their heads as they said, no, we're not going to come to this wedding, that it's expected that we be there. So acting independently, of course, gets us into our singular person who rebels. The the verse 11, the man who decides not to wear the wedding clothes. And in the sermon, I explained that, that uh, this, is, uh, this is something that would have been expected. So it wasn't, uh, there's a, a time lapse in between verses 10 and verse 11, where the servants go out and... Uh, and call new people. We, I think in our heads, we tend to squish that and think, okay, they're going straight from the streets to this wedding banquet, but there would have been time. There would have been time in order to get ready for the banquet and to clean up and to make sure they didn't smell like fish or whatever they had stepped in that day, um, in their sandals or whatnot. And, um, and there would have been time to get ready and the King would have provided wedding clothes to whoever had needed it. And so uh, those things all happen in there. And so when we first look at that, that idea that, okay, this one person is thrown out because you weren't wearing the right thing, you know, is kind of offensive to us. But then when we look at it, we're like, oh, you had time and the clothes would have been provided and so on. This is someone who is really looking to do 
their own thing. Yeah, I think this is one of the places where conflating this story with Luke 14 does us a disservice because in Luke, um, the the king very specifically says, go out and get the poor and the crippled and the br- blind and the lame. It That is not spelled out in the Matthew version. And so I think I've always kind of thought like, oh, this poor, crippled, blind, lame guy who they just invited from the streets and then got mad when he wasn't dressed right, uh, missing missing all of the other cultural aspects of that, that the clothes would have been provided for him and the time would have been provided, that this wasn't an immediate, come on in right now, they're, you, they're literally putting the meal on the table, that there would have been time that, that this man specifically chose to not do what was expected of him that he had a lot more agency than I think we realize at a first reading. Yeah. And, and so that changes our reading then and our changes, our understanding of what's going on there. And and it throws it back into our court a bit because, um, you know, it's, I'm, I, I love history. And so I'm one to say a lot of times, well, America, we're a nation of rebels. I mean, that's how our country was, was founded. And so we like to do things our own way. And, and, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s, you know, uh, how many commercials have it your way? Um, you deserve a break today. Yeah. Uh, all the, the, the sayings, we're taught to have this independent, we're taught to have this independent streak. Um, and so I'm a, yeah, I think we're a bit more acculturated to be like this person than what we, what we realized. Sorry, I was. No, I, I, I agree. We are told from early on, be your own person, do your own thing. Don't let anyone set expectations on about what you can or can't do. I think especially um, for girls, we, you know, go ahead, break the cultural norms. Go ahead. Don't let anyone hold you back. You can, you can do whatever you set your mind to. Um, And so we are, we are told from a very young age to not fit in. Don't, you know, go against the the current, and and a lot of times that can be helpful when it when we think about societal norms and peer pressure and all those things. It's not an unhelpful. It's not an unhelpful perspective to take, but we can, as we do as humans, we can take that too far. Uh, I think I think that's a a good point that that our cultural and I hadn't thought about that as, as much. And when you said that, you know, the idea that, that there really is a streak right now of kind of pushing against the cultural values and cultural norms of even the 1950s and like, Mm -hmm. uh, traditionalism and, and, uh, so on. And so there, there is very much a generational streak to, to be your own person and to define almost everything how um, you want to define it for yourself. Um, and yeah. then you come into, the, go ahead. Uh, and that, that can be really helpful as we think about women in science and medicine and all these places that have historically been dominated by men. And it can be helpful you know, as we're raising young young people, middle school, high schoolers, when we say you don't have to go along with what's expected of you. You don't have to 
do all these things just to fit in or dress in a certain way or wear certain labels to fit in. So there's tremendous freedom in that. And yet, like humans do, you know, as I said, we tend to then apply that in places where it doesn't necessarily belong. Yeah. And that's, and that's what, you know, Jesus here is really talking about. If we go back to the Beatitudes, for example, he's, he's talking about receiving the invitation of God to be in relationship with God and, and to have those kingdom values. And of course, when you are in relationship with someone there, you know, you don't get to call all the shots, mm-hmm. especially when there's a power differential. Yeah. Um, you know, when there is, um, you know, a boss to a worker, you know, there's a power differential and the, the worker doesn't get to walk into the boss's office and just say, hey, this is how it's going to be today. <laughs> Which is interesting. I mean, and even there's there's cultural conflict even in that area today as as people try to redefine what work life looks like and what expectations are and do we work from home or do we work from an office and can you tell me that I have to come into an office when I can do my job from home and how do we negotiate all of these things so the this this same problem that this man who isn't dressed appropriately is having like we still struggle with it today we still struggle to figure out where where to let authority speak in our lives where Going along with expectations makes sense and where it makes sense to say, no, I'm not going to let that define who I'm called to be. Yeah. And, and in part, what this gets into is is autonomy. I mean, really, who is in charge of me? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a very um, that's a very difficult topic at really at any stage of life. I mean, you know, it's not just younger people who who struggle with this question of autonomy. I mean, as uh, I don't know what your experience has been, my experience um, working with uh, out in Illinois, um, most people go into a retirement home actually too late. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of the toughest decisions because it's, sur- it's surrounded by this question of autonomy. What can I or what can I not do on my own? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've had people, I've had conversations with people, you know, I'll go into a, a retirement home over my dead body. Like, not going to do it not until someone forces me and at that point it's going to be because I can't make the decision for myself right and and often families are left in the lurch at that point um and so you know we we come back to you know this this um parable that Jesus is saying and is giving and the question is you know how then do we act when we're a part of the kingdom of heaven and and you know here um we we talked earlier about uh before the podcast when we were reviewing this passage we talked a little bit about uh the person who who has the wrong clothes on is almost like a, a like what bonhoeffer would be uh, would call someone who who is taken into cheap grace where you know god's gonna forgive me it's all gonna be fine so i'm just gonna kind of do what i want yeah and that perspective of i showed up don't ask me to do anything else in this case, it looks like don't ask me to wear certain clothes or to partake in certain cultural norms. But, you know, in our lives of faith today, I think it kind of looks like, you know, I showed up to church. Don't ask me to bear fruit. 
Don't ask me to give money. Don't ask me to serve. Don't ask me to give or do anything beyond showing up here. I've, I've done that. I'm good. Um, and that removes that relationship between acceptance and obedience that we often get backwards. We, we work as though we have to be obedient to be accepted by God, but when we're accepted by God, when we trust that that grace has already been bestowed on us, it should inspire us to then work and grow and be obedient and to show fruit and to live life differently than had that grace not been given to us. Yeah. I, I mean, you you, see, you can see this in people who have really felt the transformation of, of Christ in their life where they are excited because it has made such a difference that they are, uh, you know, we say, you know, we'll say that they're on fire for God or something like that. Uh, use some sort of phrase, Christianese like that, mm-hmm. um, but where they are, um, they're genuinely excited and genuinely want to respond to that grace because they find a freedom in that. Yeah. And, and in that, there's that reminder that it's, it's joy to grow and change. It's not, not that different than we experience as we work at other things. So often we use sports analogies, but you know, the day to day practice is not fun, but it's a joy to look back and say, I dropped time in my swimming race, or I'm a better baseball player now than I was. I, you know, I'm, I'm growing, I'm changing, I'm bearing the fruit of all this work I did. That's joy not drudgery and the same can be true of our spiritual life we just tend to not look at it the same even though that discipline is the same it's not all joy there are hard things to do no one likes being patient everyone would like what they want right when they want it no one likes putting others ahead of themselves but there's joy in looking and saying wow others might see echoes of Christ in me. And that's humbling and exciting too, to think that, that others would recognize something in us that's different than the world around them in a good way and not in a, I refuse to do it kind of way, like this man who didn't get dressed properly for the wedding. Yeah. And, and really wanted to have, he he wanted to have the benefit of being at the party without having to follow any of the ob- obligations Mm -hmm. and you know to to continue on those sports analogies that you know the idea that i want to be a baseball player but i still want to put down like five hot dogs a day and Mm -hmm. you know i i want to drink pop for every single meal and so on and so forth you know if you want to be a baseball player you can't do those things uh and i know there is someone who is saying you know uh, there are a couple of pitchers that maybe would would fit into the <laughs> exception category, and and I hear you on that. But uh, in general, you have to be. There's a certain lifestyle. There's a certain, and no one implements those rules from on high. It's just expected that if you want to do well, then there are certain decisions you have to make. Yeah, and that and that's true of any craft, any career, any skill that. Y- you may be able to fake it for a while, but at some point you're going to have to make real decisions about how, who you want to be and whether this thing that you're working towards is 
worth the sacrifices that you'll be called on to make and the the work that you're being called to put into it and you need to decide if that's the direction you truly want to go um and i wonder if that's why we have nominal christians we have people who would call themselves a christian but aren't bearing fruit aren't aren't living in a way that is growing more towards christ and showing love and grace and mercy and and humility and all the fruits of the spirit and all these gifts that are laid out for us throughout the new testament that they haven't really committed that they haven't committed to it yeah that's you know that's a as you were saying that it made me think about how hard it is sometimes as a pastor because you want people to be committed um but those are hard conversations it it really takes a, a level of maturity to be able to to say to someone hey i think you could be going deeper here i think you actually really want to go deeper um because there's always that there really is a tension because, uh, you know, don't tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it gets difficult and you really have to. It's very interesting because you have to have that relationship with someone to be able to speak into their life. Yeah, especially in a way that it does not then just become works righteousness, because as we talk about commitment, as we talk about growth and and dedication and a willingness to let your life be transformed doesn't just look like coming to church above all other things it doesn't just look like the the discipline of putting money in the plate it doesn't it it's not these things that check boxes or can be can be verified or observed by other people it's a state of the heart and a willingness to grow that others may not notice for years or or others may never notice, but you notice. You you sense the difference in your ability to be patient or to not gossip or to you know, to do any number of these things that again are you know, are laid out in various places in scripture as we get glimpses of who we're called to be in Christ. Yeah. And and so thinking about thinking about having um, younger families uh, and thinking about the the process of discipleship in in younger kids i i know there's even for for katie and i there's kind of a fear at times that what happens if we don't do it correctly what happens and so i can understand why some um why some families are just like you know what i don't know what to do so i'm not even going to try because it's just too hard to figure out um and sometimes there's a this thought that that Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to let them figure it out for themselves. And, um, I think one of the things that as, as a parent, I read in this because, you know, it's for one, it's one thing if something happens to me as an individual, but when I think about something happening to one of my boys, like that's, that's more difficult. And it's a, it's a reminder that I really do have an obligation. I have a, 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 a good obligation, obligation in the best sense of the word, to shape them in terms of the faith. Um, and that's not a closing of choices to them. That's really a, something done for their 
good, something got, uh, done for their benefit. And um, that's a that's a great thing because there is a whole host of ideas and ideologies and whatnot out there. And, you know, <laughs> there are days that I don't trust them to pick their own <laughs> breakfast, let alone pick the faith. Yeah, and when you think about all the things that we do train our kids in how to be good students how to go to sleep how to eat reasonably healthy why wouldn't faith be a part of that too we don't tell them well i'm just going to let them figure out how to sleep on their own no from the time you know before they can even walk we start sleep training them and and helping them to figure out how to sleep because we need to sleep um, but from the time they can start to eat foods, we talk about healthy foods and sometimes foods and this is a treat and let's make sure we fill up on healthy foods before we eat treats. If I let my kids pick for themselves, if I let them make their own decisions, they would eat a steady diet of Doritos and Nutella and that would be it, you know. <laughs> um, so so it's my job to help them consider something vegetable or, you know, something that resembles a balanced meal before they go in the junk food direction. And I love junk food as much as the next person, but you can't <laughs> exist on that. Um, we teach them how to to be students. We don't just let them figure it out on their own. We don't say it's going to be up to them whether they want to study or not. No, we say, where's your planner? Let me see your assignments. Let's sit <laughs> down and do this together, even if it's painful. And it is. But we... It's our job, and, and those are the baptismal vows we take. We celebrated in church faithful service of one of our um, leaders, and that's, that's what we promise to do. We promise to raise them in the faith, and, and the parents, pa as parents, we make that promise. As a church, we make that promise, and it's, it's, so it's now our job to do that, to not to drag them by their hair kicking and screaming. You have to let your kids help to inform what faith is going to look like and what your church life is going to look like. But ultimately, you're the parent. You get to decide. Um, I'm lucky. My kids have never balked at coming to church. They like being here. They feel yeah. welcome here and loved here. And so I... Anytime that they've said, I don't want to go, it's not because they don't want to be here. It's just because they don't want to wake up. Usually an offer of Dunkin' Donuts will solve that right right up and they'll <laughs> be up and ready to go. Um, you know, I think it would be different if they really hated coming to church. Then there'd be different conversations, different conversations as a whole family. But that still doesn't mean that they just get to opt out of the faith altogether without yeah. without conversation without working together to figure out what faith what a faithful life of faithfulness looks like for them well and and that's that's being that's having an informed decision mm -hmm. you know there there's a big difference between um you know just kind of a, a blanket like oh you can figure this out on your own and a hey here are the 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 real options out there um and I think what this passage does um, for me as well is that it, it gives me the burden of knowledge that like, oh, the optionals of the faith are not optional. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like the, these are discussions that need to happen. These are, these are um, 
conversations that no matter how awkward I feel, I'm still called to as a disciple of Jesus Christ to have them with my family yeah, and to have them with other people. Now, that doesn't mean just because I feel awkward doesn't mean that I need to be weird with people. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a big difference there. You know, I, I, I want to, you know, I want to have genuine conversations with Ian and with Cameron. I want to have genuine conversations with people in the church because I think there is, uh, you know, this, there are very real consequences. You know, you brought up the the relationship between acceptance and obedience. You know, religion is this idea that I, I obey so that I'm accepted, whereas the gospel is I'm accepted, therefore I obey, and it's a joyful thing. And there's a very real choice there because if we are looking to be accepted through our obedience, that's a dangerous treadmill that people never get off. Mm-hmm. And even in work life and, you know, resume, how many, how many parents in Cranberry Township are trying to build resumes for their kids Yeah, already? And, and you know, it's like get into the, get into the right elementary school or to the right preschool or, you know, I'm going to play Mozart at the right time. You know, I'm being a little bit facetious here, but, you know, there's, there's a treadmill for obedience leading to acceptance yeah as we mentioned last week it's it comes back to that idea that that is so ingrained in us work hard do the right things get the rewards if you are in the right school if you get the right grades if you're around the right friends if you're a part of the right teams then you'll reap the rewards of that and you're never i don't know that anyone ever says yes we've done all the right things Whew, we can relax a little bit. There's always that sense of I have to do more. I'm not quite enough. I haven't, I haven't explored every opportunity, or I haven't worked quite hard enough to get to where I want to be. There's always someone better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how dangerous that is for for our kids, but for for all of us. How how easy it is to say, well, this person and this person and this person are more successful this church this church and this church do it better than we do these parents are better this athlete is better and 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 we get it's kind of back to the the parable from last week the great comparathon robs us of the joy of what we're able to do and where we are in our faith and in our life and and you know as soon as we start looking at everything else going on around us we're less secure in what we have and what we've done. And that's an infuriatingly frustrating place to be because even those people that are better than you are looking at other people saying, I wish I had that. I wish I could do that. I wish I had that grade point average or that batting average or, or whatever it is, that ability. Yeah. And, and and so there's a very real choice here. And, and, you know, the, the great news in this parable is that the king really does just, I'm going to accept anyone who comes, who comes in. Now, he doesn't accept them, you know, he, he calls everyone to come in, and that's going to require some, some minor transformation on their part. They're going to have to clean up, and, and, and uh, they're going to have to, you know, put on the wedding clothes. They're going to have to look like invited guests to a banquet, but he's willing to take bad as well as good. And then the, and I think that's, 
I think that's a great way to come back to the fact that, that God's invitation is out there to, to say, okay, yeah, listen, we can all be accepted here. We're, you know, we can all go into the banquet. Yeah, it's going to mean that we look a certain way. Not all the distinctions are going to drop. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it means that there are going to be certain expectations, but understand that the prerequisite to going in is just that you take this invite and say, yeah, I'll go to that. Yeah, it, it's similar to how we did describe it to the kids this week, you wouldn't show up to a swim meet wearing a snowsuit. You wouldn't show up to your dance recital without your tap shoes. You're not going to be able to do the dance and and you could get hurt by other people stepping on you. You know, at the swim meet, if you jump in the pool with a snowsuit, you're going to sink to the bottom of the pool. You wouldn't show up to hockey without your stick and your helmet. That That all these things, anything that we're privileged to do also has a requirement that we present ourselves as prepared and ready to try to learn to to grow that we that we take steps as well to conform to what's being asked of us you know in this case it doesn't keep us from coming into the banquet but there's still a requirement on us to grow and change otherwise we have completely cheapened what Jesus offers to us and then you know if if nothing is required of us then why even bother yeah yeah and 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 that's what <laughs> I'm reminded of Tom Tom Hanks in uh, a league of their own where he's <laughs> he's uh kind of losing his mind on on Dottie and saying that the heart is what makes it good yeah you know she has a, a when she says it's too hard and anyway um but it, you know that's that's the thing it's it, it, and i think there's a tension there between you know what do i what do i need to do to find that acceptance well the invitation is out there it, and this is the hard tension it, and understand that acceptance to that invitation will change us uh that's going to change you know the acceptance of christ the acceptance of 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 being in Christ in my life has necessarily meant change in my life from who I was into who I am becoming. I'm not there yet. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I've got a long way to go in some areas, but you know, this idea that, that, you know, which order is it in, you know, am I, am I obeying so that I can be accepted or am I accepted? So I can, I can now make the, the necessary Uh, changes in a joyful response yeah I think and I think when we refuse to do that when we don't recognize that change that is a response that's where we get criticisms of the church as being hypocritical that's where we get criticisms of the the church and of Christians of being terrible people and and some some that claim to be Christians are or they act terribly and certainly Jesus loves them too but that shouldn't be what we aspire to that to be able to hold on to who we are and and what is important to us without without growing and saying you know maybe I've gotten it wrong maybe I have work to do maybe maybe God is working in my life to move me 
from what I thought I needed to do or be or think into something different that that humility that that willingness to to grow that willingness to let your life of faith look different than it and then it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago or three years ago even that as we grow and change that's okay and that's what what we're called to do in this respect it's it's okay to lose control yeah it's okay to lose control over the the shape of my own life when it's becoming more in the shape of a of a life in christ Mm -hmm. um and that's you know that's a that's an important reminder i'm someone who likes control over my you know over my surroundings i like control over my work um but when it comes to my character and my the direction i'm going you know it's it's good to allow that to be in the control of Christ and not to, to insist on my own way. Yeah. To recognize that on my own, I am, I am not a great person, but, but Jesus, when I open my eye, my life to growing more Christ-like, then God can redeem those things about me. Yeah. And and I think that's uh, helpful too, as, as uh, you know, as uh, Katie and I parent, we we can say, you know, we don't know exactly what God has in store for you, um, but we want to help you become the type of person who can do the work that He's calling you to, uh, in a way that only a Christ follower can. Mm-hmm. So, uh, anything else that we we haven't hit there, or that is uh, that was kind of in your notes for for today. I don't think so. I think we kind of, we, we covered all of it. Again, this is one of those passages that the longer you spend with it, the more you see in it and the more convicting it becomes. It's easy to read it at first and say, well, what excuses do you have for not coming to church or not helping out the poor? And, and we can identify those surface excuses in our lives, but the more we dig, we realize, oh, maybe, maybe I'm kind of like the man who just doesn't want to change. That maybe I, I don't want to put the effort in, or maybe you know I kind of like my vices and I kind of like my my life the way it is, and I don't want to have to put others first, and I don't want to have to think about other people. I don't want to have to be more patient. You know, it feels good to keep a record of rights and wrongs as we think about what love, how love is described. You know, I want to hold on to those things, but, but changing my clothes, being prepared for the wedding, accepting that invitation means that those things in my life are going to have to change too. And that's tough, but, but so good. And that's where we find the joy and that's where we find the the relief and the release of realizing we're never going to measure up to who Jesus is, but there's joy in, in the learning, in the effort, in the striving towards that. I think that's a, a good reminder as we, as we wrap up here, um, that, that transformation is difficult. Transformation doesn't, isn't pain free. And was, it's not linear. No, and it's not linear and it's, but it is good. Um, and that it leads to something that, that we could never imagine for ourselves, 
um, and leads us into a deeper relationship with God, which continues that, that work of transformation mm-hmm. um, and something that we're able to be very, very thankful for in our lives. And so in, in that way, uh, the faith has a very real everyday application. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that's going to wrap us up for today. Yeah. And uh, I want to th- uh, thank you for listening again. And then just go ahead and connect uh, Sunday to the weekday and, and let this uh, be something that you live out in your, in your daily life. So I uh, hope you have a, a great day and we'll catch you on the next time.